You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1998 classic, underrated, Whispering Corridors. Oh, I thought it would be the dripping water sound. That's what it sounded (laughs) I thought that you were going to pull. (laughs) No, not this time. I'm not going to be doing the, the dripping sound, which until you pointed it out, I didn't. I didn't even notice it at all. It's all I noticed throughout the entire film. I mean, it didn't take away from it. And it's interesting to me that it is such a new-ish film. Like, this is on the cusp of the 2000s. It's not that old. It's 20-some years old. But there's things about this film that make it feel like it's set 20 years even before that. So it seems like 70s, 80s for some reason, and I couldn't put my finger on why, because it is telling a modern story in a fairly modern setting, but there is that timelessness of school-aged Korea that I think infects my placement of this on a time scale, really. So like, you know, it's not that old of a film. Really, honestly, it just feels like it ought to be older. I don't know what the um, film quality of the version that you watched was. I watched the uh, Tartan Asian Extreme DVD copy that I have. And I even noticed looking at it then, it looks older than even other films coming out of Asia from that time period. Um so it, it could it could have been a, uh, a so many other films have uh, gotten HD upgrades and they've really gone through them and updated everything to make sure that they look as crisp and as clean as humanly possible. Uh, this film, as of yet, hasn't really gotten that extra bit of love and care. That has got to be it because I did comment that it looks like the film that they're using specifically the physical film is maybe older or had somewhat reticulated or is you know they were going for a particular look with a lens that made it look older so I I wouldn't know so I'll have to look that up because now I'm very interested and I really hope that this does get an update because it definitely deserves it I watched it on Xbox I rented it off Xbox so it's probably the exact same as what you got to see Oh, Uh, I do know that this film was fairly low budget. Something that our listeners should understand is Korean horror films before Whispering Corridors didn't really have a lot of money thrown at them. They were kind of considered a financial liability. And this is for several factors that horror films in Korea kind of went away for a few decades and um, then when they came back they just weren't seen as very profitable. Whispering Corridors became one of the top grossing films of that year uh, on a very limited budget. In fact if you think about the film 
critically, it really is just one location, a, um, a, a Japanese school that the film production had access to. And so you just film in the school and you just have your actors and there are some special effects. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's a pretty simple production. The very simple production and aside from the very very high amount of effects it's very similar to a story like corpse party where you get a lot of physical and cg gore effects but if you strip all those away you're left with something a lot like whispering corridor so i can see this being the grandfather of so many of those sorts of films now i know that the manga timeline is much different than the film timelines so i don't know which would have really influenced what but there are quite another another story like this is the other. I love that film as well and that uh, anime series. So like all this these school stories maybe influenced one another. I just see so many similarities, of course, especially with the lore of the different ghosts, the different supernatural or quasi supernatural pastimes that children have in school are similar sometimes. So there's like so many things that I loved about this film because I love that subgenre so, so much. And this seems to me to be the fount of it, let alone K-horror coming back. Yes, um, I was reminded also of another while watching this film, uh, the video game White Day, a very famous Korean uh, survival horror game that uh, came out many years ago on the Dreamcast and then got uh, an HD remake uh, only a few years ago. Again, this having students with uniforms in a school, people not who they say they are, teachers who know something because they're almost like these eternal elven creatures that just exist through all these generations of normal people, students passing through the hallways abandoned sections of the school oh we don't go there like that like a bunch of stuff happens over there that's the old art room that's the old this that's the old that oh we found something in the floorboards we found a tape recorder we found all of these things that just all feel like of a piece but whispering corridors is like ground zero for a lot of these tropes that a lot of people become familiar with later and that's how come that the i've always really wanted to talk about whispering corridors i think i bring it up several times throughout the history of this podcast and it's always my just want to give a shout out to whispering corridors because you know everyone's talking about the asian horror boom in the early 2000s and ring gets a lot of credit for that but we can't forget the fact that Whispering Corridor set the financial table for a lot of these things to prove not just in Korea, but in Japan and China that there was big money in ghost stories so we can push them to the forefront. Um, and, and, and to me, I've, I've, I've really just always been excited about this from a historical standpoint, but, and I've always been curious, would you like this film? Heck, I can see why that would be a question, especially since we had a conversation beforehand and we've had this conversation before. If you go back through the annals of history of Dead Air podcast, you may have caught Wes saying something like Whispering Corridors is a sleepy Asian horror film. And it's really not. We're here to report 
that it is it is not a sleepy film whatsoever. I enjoyed it a lot. And but I can see why you would hesitate because it is older. Uh, it is it, it wouldn't say that it's slow. It slows down a little bit at points, but there are times when we feel perhaps befuddled or like we've walked in midway through a conversation several times throughout the story. So, you know, that and there's a lot of like lingering glances where people are just sort of digesting what's going on around them or taking it in as we are as the viewers. There's also a lot of uh, quiet and beautiful moments, just long shots of uh, the whispering corridors, as it were. And there's a lot of quiet music and weird sound effects that maybe lull someone a little bit. Um, the dripping sound specifically, which we'll talk about uh, as we get into the plot. But yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. And I think that my love of this and this film is a really good example of that without getting too non-politically correct or without getting too uh, incendiary. I'm not sure of the word I'm looking for, but a lot of these stories about uh, schools and kids in uniforms and corporal punishment and discipline, they can talk about a lot of these things like eating disorders, uh, smoking and drug addiction, teen pregnancy, not all in this film, of course, but they can talk about uh, harassment, sexual harassment, um, incest, rape. You can, they can talk about all of these things in these sorts of stories. And this one doesn't get too edgy. I think that's the word I was looking for, edgy. <laughs> this one doesn't get too edgy, but we do get little hints of these larger stories going on in school children's lives. The more recent iterations of The Grudge really do explore a lot of these things, way more edgier than this ever does. So yeah, I loved it. I loved it a lot. And I'm thanking you for this West Pick West. Thank you. Um, like so much of my early days of really exploring the horror genre and not as a kid because uh, like i said you don't really become a horror fan by turning on a light switch and and you say oh i just like horror movies i'm a horror movie guy but th there was a there was a weird gestation period where i knew that i wanted to do something on the internet and i didn't quite know what that was going to be and i kept thinking maybe horror movies are a thing that I should be paying attention to. And all of a sudden, I found myself really gearing towards that direction, but wanting to also expand my knowledge because I didn't want to present myself as any kind of an authority when there was things that I missed or didn't understand or parts of the genre that I wanted to explore. And so I had caught word of a film like Whispering Corridors and I had actually done a written review of this film in uh, for Splatter Pictures many years ago. Now, I had thought that I had first heard of this film via a book by Gary Gianni, uh, who wrote uh, Top 100 Horror Movies of All Time, and I was so convinced that I didn't even bother checking until today, where I, I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to go pull out that book, because what did he say about it? And... I checked the index and they ain't no hide nor hair mention of that film in the entire book. So I was wrong about where I heard about it, but I do know that the first time I watched it was on good old YouTube, 
when I'm, I'm you'd be surprised if you couldn't find it right now if you just type in Whispering Corridors full film I bet you it's there maybe it's not but all those years ago I watched the film originally off of YouTube and I wrote my review based off of that and then maybe a year or two later I ran across it at a convention uh, you know there was a there was a weird period gang where Asian horror was the big thing and Tartan Asian Extreme was this boutique label that presented uh, horror films from all across Asia and then it sunk like a stone and then people were liquidating their Tartan Asian Extreme horror so it became very easy to grab these DVDs for a song uh, which is what I did. I don't remember which title it was but I found a Tartan Asian Extreme uh, unpopular title at a corner store in my hometown, sleepy little hometown with population of maybe 5,000 people in this little tiny corner store and they had like used DVDs on a little rack. <laughs> this was used but still in its cellophane with stickers on it so it's still like it had never actually been used or viewed but it was someone's from someone's collection and it was there for I think $1.99. <laughs> I had um, friends that owned a video store and they had described it to me as they weren't able to keep them on the shelves. They were getting rented left, right, and center. And then it was like someone turned off a light switch. These movies couldn't get arrested. And then the video stores started to allocate space to films that were being rented. And so there a lot of mom and pop video stores had robust Asian horror sections that just dwindled down to the bare essentials essentially. But, uh, and I don't know, is Tartan Asian Extreme, do they, they're like out of business, eh? They don't do anything anymore, do you know? I'm not really sure now that you ask. And I think I want to look that up because I was going to look up what was that title anyway that I found for $2 at a corner store. <laughs> but I don't think they do. Like Dimension Extreme doesn't exist either, does it? I uh, know Dimension definitely doesn't exist anymore, and I'm I'm almost certain Tartan doesn't exist either anymore. I think they went out with DVDs, really, because I don't think I've ever seen a Tartan Blu-ray. Yeah, I know, and that would explain why a lot of these films desperately need upgrading and aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 2008, Tartan went into administration, laid off its employees, and ceased operations. The U.S. branch was shuttered a month earlier. That comes from Wikipedia. Wow. 2008. Its library of films was... Sorry. Its library of films was sold to Palisades Media Group. So somebody owns it. You know, it almost is so in keeping that Tartan Asian Extreme went out in 2008. That would have been that cusp of transition into HD. And I feel like someone's been killed in our midst. Like that's so, like, like it's it's so sad. Um, but in, 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 in a weird way, I kind of like it. I'm just like, yeah, you, you guys exploded with the rise of the popularity of Asian horror and then it had its moment and then it went away and so did you. It's beautiful in, in a weird, sort of way but fuck all that Liz what is this movie even about anyways this movie is about how the corporate memory often forgets 
the most important stories of all. And if anyone had been paying attention to the fact that there must have been some sort of terrible things happening every so many years, when the ghost of a student returns every so many years, quite obviously, because when she returns in Whispering Corridors, it's quite obvious from the first five minutes of the movie the fact that no one seems to remember this and it's news to every student coming in no school should run like that too many schools run with the corporate memory remembering the things that are not important whatsoever and the real stories being forgotten quite quickly year by year class by class it really makes you wonder how if 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 a teacher watched that would they think, oh, yeah, I don't fucking remember my students. Like, you know, how many of these we see, like, you know, 30 new kids every year or or every couple of years. And then they're out the door and then a fresh batch comes in and they change so much over the years. And, yeah, some this one kind of looks like one previously. But I bet they get a little bit of uncanny valley or deja vu sometimes because, like, I'm sure I've seen. Listen, I've seen, like, people out on the street. um, who look almost exactly like me. In fact, there was uh, someone uh, uh, like one New Year's where I didn't go to this party and this one guy showed up to the party that no one had met before and he looked apparently so much like me that they all called him Good Wes because apparently he was nicer than me too. So... (laughs) (laughs) I think I saw that guy this morning on my walk. (laughs) No lie. I was walking uh, my early morning frosty walk like Ned Flanders fog walk but in the morning and I saw what looked like the doppelganger Wes I will call him good Wes because he looked like a bit of a Barney Rubble he looked like you but Barney Rubbleized and he was wearing beige cargo shorts oh god no like you'd expect exactly it was great I don't think this guy had a cool bone in his body he's probably never worn a skull ring or had a good haircut whatsoever (laughs) but he's the good Wes apparently because you know what he looked happy Wes I will say he looked happy I was gonna say that come on like I I have some Barney Rubble qualities but then the second you said cargo shorts uh if ever anyone ever sees me and I'm wearing cargo shorts I am asking for help I have I am (laughs) this is my signal to you listeners out there Wes in cargo shorts means I've been kidnapped. This is not a drill. Someone's watching us. Call the police. You know, the part that made me think of him as not just a guy that resembles Wes, but your twin, your weird dark world twin, is that, you know, your black hat, the cap that you often wear, it's actually in the photos for our show, I believe. Yeah. Uh, He had that exact same cap. Yet it was beige to match his cargo shorts. Wow, this is like if you selected me twice in a fighting game, and then there's a palette-swapped version of me that you have to fight now. (laughs) That is exactly it. That's exactly it. I'm pretty sure you would win that fight. I think so, too. Probably because I don't have giant dad keys in my stupid cargo shorts jingling around and slowing me down from all my flippy kicks. But we've gotten way off fucking topic. Um... This film is also about the Jukran High School for Girls. And this is an all-girls school where we are introduced to 
a mystery right off the bat. And I love this opening so much because you have a teacher marking marking mysterious numbers down. What is she doing, this Mrs. Park? And then a phone call and a cryptic message. And then next thing you know, a, a, a horrible thing happens. We've got a noose. We've got blood. We've got murder. We've got mayhem. And this is just the start of the school year, Lids. And it just immediately hooks you in. And so I don't know why I remembered this film as Sleepy. I'm, I, maybe when I watched it on YouTube, I was heavily distracted. Or maybe it was just the fact that I was much younger. And, and what I consider a sleepy movie uh, nowadays is not the same of what I would consider a sleepy movie back then. But from the get-go, you know what you're in for. A murder mystery ghost story. And I am here for it because that intro... We're suspecting that maybe she's circling grades, high grades at that, because it's yes. the 90s. But then you take a look at the year that this was filmed. So you're like, okay, because this, this could be years. We don't know. But it was it's, it's a good mystery, a very simple mystery, a Hitchcockian, almost giallo style beginning. And it has a bit of giallo leanings, I dare say, without knowing. Uh, I really enjoyed this intro and it was quite graphic, especially with the schoolgirls discovering the body and the crying and the carrying on. It's probably the most emotion that you see in this film for the next half hour, quite honestly. So it does start off with a punch, but then I'm suspecting, you know, the last half hour does have quiet moments, a lot of them, but you're really invested in these characters that we meet that are dealing with the fallout of Mrs. Park and the teacher that we meet, the people that we meet within the school over the next, say, 15, 20 minutes of the film. So by the end, you're really invested in the storyline. So maybe you get quiet and you're hunched down because I was watching this film. But yeah, it does start out with quite a bang and a really good whodunit kind of mystery and a supernatural ghost story. I mean, perfect. Like I said, I'm here for it. Miss Park says Jinju is definitely dead, but she's here. And that immediately conjures this image of, okay, so this place is being haunted. And in a weird way, it could be kind of disappointing from the jump because you're giving people information immediately that the school is haunted, not just we the audiences, we maybe we saw the trailer, it's called Whispering Corridors, it's a horror movie, we could probably guess that it's a ghost story, but also imparting that information to characters immediately. Now, we don't necessarily know who she's talking to, she's talking to somebody, someone who would know, uh, but everything that she has discovered dies with her. And we're introduced to Gio, who is this um, a, a young girl determined to make her final year uh, to ride it out in style, as she says. But she is going to meet uh, Zhe Yi immediately. Uh, they're the student clerks. Now, um, in uh, I definitely knew in Japan, but also in Korea, according to this film, uh, which I didn't know uh, until I saw this film was that, uh, you know, 
they're in charge of cleaning up the classroom. You go there, clean everything up, and this is something that would be rotated out uh, basically week by week throughout the entire school year. Every pair of students gets a turn to clean things up. Um, if you've ever seen an anime, it's very common in, in anime set in schools that you see people that have this type of duty. Um, and so they're going to get there early because they have to cleaning up to do, but they're not going to get there so early that uh, weird girl, creepy girl, unpopular girl, Jun Suk is already in class studying. And can you blame her? I mean, seriously, you know what those admittance exams are like? I mean, I know what they're like from anime because I've never written an admittance exam for anything uh, except my job. <laughs> think of it. But other than that, as a child, uh, most of the testing that we did were kind of a joke because that was more about the uh, school board being tested than us individually. So, yeah, I wish that we had this sort of discipline in schools. Uh, even as a kid, I wouldn't have minded if it was a rotating duty that everyone was expected to perform and you did really without too much moaning and groaning. Of course, there's going to be this kind of cliche. You've got the kind of popular, good-looking girl that listens to rock music <laughs> and the sort of pudgy-ish, kind of newish girl that's very shy, doesn't really know anyone and is treated as like a, oh, I roll, okay, you can be my partner, I guess kind of attitude toward her and the super geeky smart girl that's going to scurry around in the shadows a little bit because that's that's what we do i love jinsuk she's got such a scowl permanent like wednesday adam vibe to her where she definitely just seems pissed off all the time and i um and you can tell that she's very serious about her schooling but it doesn't maybe come as natural to her as other students even though she's um she's a, a number two runner-up in the class 25th overall in the entire school but still not good enough now the half dozen girls who discover miss park's body hanging from this what is it like a bridge an overpass type area that connects the yeah, school like a connector between buildings like an overpass yeah yeah um, they're given explicit instructions to keep this to themselves. And we don't want to like spread rumors. We don't want to talk about this. And this is all being administered by Mr. O, who you would get this idea that I, that I was like, initially, is this guy supposed to be a principal or something like that? But no, he's just another teacher. I don't know who like who overall is in charge of this building, but this guy's got a nickname, Mad Dog. Mad Dog, not to be confused with Mad Dog from other uh, Philippine-styled fight films. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Murphy. Yeah, yeah, the raid. I yeah, what a name that. for a teacher. <laughs> Mad Dog. God. <laughs> Terrifying. Imagine if you could swap those two people in those films. That'd be great. You got the raid with Mad Dog, the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. a pretty little dude, but he could probably fight the ghost. Just to illustrate like how militant and how rough of a guy this uh mad dog is the teacher not in the raid when they were first in the teacher's lounge or office or whatever it's supposed to be and you are first really introduced to him the new teacher the nice teacher all that 
I thought they were cops. I was because they were talking about the police, and I assumed that they were the police investigating this suicide. And I just thought they were cops. So I got not confused totally, but I was like, "Oh, this will be that show with all the cops wearing tracksuits." And Chris is like, "No, I think those are the teachers." And I was like, "Oh," because <laughs> I I thought they were all the cops. Yeah, there's a there's a weird isolated quality to this film in which. I'm probably for budgetary concerns, but also it's called Whispering Corridors and they really want to keep things central to the school environment itself. So there isn't any outside influence by other characters. You don't see anybody in this film that is not affiliated with the school directly. They are either a teacher or they are a student. You don't see police. Uh, I think you maybe get a glimpse of one of the family members of one of the students but where the students go after school who knows a lot of them seem to be there at like 11 o'clock at night so it's it's hard to really say but yes when we're introduced to the teachers and uh we got Yu young who is really really disturbed she seems to be the only teacher that is disturbed and we know that nine years ago she was just a student and she will remind you of that fact 700 times in this movie oh, i just I, I feel like i'm still a student oh, and other teachers are like you used to go here right you were a student and then other students walk up to her and be like oh so you're the beautiful intelligent student that became a teacher at this school like it's it's like constantly reinforcing the fact that this girl used to go to school, which is hilarious. I don't know why they feel the need in the script to drive home this fact. I guess they're worried that we would forget, but it's how everyone in their introductory scenes to this woman refer to her as. And then every conversation later is just about the fact that she used to be a student here. I don't even know what class she teaches. Just homeroom. Just homeroom, which has no real, you know, they don't describe the teacher that teaches them English either. Yeah. I have no idea what that teacher <laughs> looks like even. But what she teaches, just homeroom. I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> She's their warden, I guess, like to a certain degree. But yeah, uh, it is weird. I had a teacher uh, in college that had been a student at that college mm -hmm. years before. And we found out usually in that last week when there's no real classes to be taught and it's the good luck, see you later, you were a good student, hangout class that no actual class gets taught, that we would usually find out that he was a student there. And like be going back to the school years later, as a teacher myself, having been a student there, it wasn't something that I mentioned every goddamn class that I used to be a student there. Sometimes I would forget to mention because it doesn't really have any bearing. In this story, of course it does, because she has some sleuthing to do, but it's not like we're going to forget, right? Because it is back-to-back, minute-by-minute reminders that she was a student there. This was her classroom. She was in class 3-3, and her homeroom teacher was Mrs. Park. Do you need me to repeat it in case you forgot? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I really enjoy her character she is um this film also serves as a fairly mild but pointed 
indictment of the Korean school system. You have lots of examples of corporal punishment being dealt out to these girls, and this is considered a normal way of life. Yes, some of the girls are shocked when they see acts of violence committed against other students um, in the school, but the hyper-competitiveness, the way that uh, teachers care very little for the idea that any of these girls could have a personal life or should want a personal life. It's all about pitting them against each other, making sure that they get the greatest grades. Talking out of turn could get you uh, smacked. Like just even looking like you're not paying attention, even if you are, a teacher will smack you with their ruler, uh, physically assault you, sexually harass you, and in open, not just in front of uh, other students, but in front of other teachers. Um, and it's just played off as a joke later on in the film. Um, the, the disciplinary action of making everyone stand on, like kneel on their desks with their hands up over their head. It's not explicit. The film is not about that, but it is present to let you know that this is a very harsh environment. There's been several Korean horror films that have dealt with this. Um, uh, when Korea split, there was a lot of leftover stuff from the harsher regimes and before they, I don't know how, if they've softened up really at all anymore, but I do know that at least at the time of this film, uh, this was a fairly accurate description of what was going on in these all girls schools. Um, and, and it can be brutal to look at, it's more the idea of it. Cause again, I want to emphasize the film is not about this. You're not going to see all these, girls getting abused but one of the things that you will definitely see is is any any chance that these young women could have to have fun or be kids is almost immediately completely shut down by an insane authority figure there really only seems to be two nice teachers in the entire building because even the ones that oh thank god uh, mr o isn't here right now and another teacher is fucking just as bad which you know you could say that about our um school system here in say the 30s and the catholic school system for a longer time after that yes very true it was very similar and they're very, all very seem true, to be yes based on the Prussian school system from what I understand and I don't know Prussia isn't a place anymore but considering where Prussia was located and my family came from Prussia and brought quite a bit of that kind of militant thinking very like you know almost Dutch German kind of strictness to daily life and farming uh, reflected in a school, I can see that. I can see that they were the harbingers of our very militant school system. And given to a totalitarian regime that runs their country you know, in such a fashion, I can't imagine the brutality that took place in schools. And for what little bits of brutality and uh, embarrassment or brutality and humiliation tactics that are used to crush the child out of these children 
I, I can't imagine what it was like in real life because we're not seeing, you know, really, really terrible scarring situations here. Uh, but no doubt that was going on even after the split. And even, even now there probably are some schools that are extremely strict to our Western ways of thinking where now uh, schools can't do anything <laughs> whatsoever really without getting really draped over the coals. That said, there are some decisions that schools are making here that are over and above anything that could ever be imagined in the East. So the, the freedom that schools have here to make decisions and shape children is a very different sort of mirror-like situation, sort of like a dark mirror of what was going on in Korea in schools. What's weird, I think, and you touched on this at the beginning, where there's all these like abandoned nooks and crannies and fun exploring of the school because they are there from like six in the morning to 11 at night for whatever fucking school kid reasons. But when you were in school, did you have abandoned wings, abandoned rooms, uh, sneaky rooms where all the older kids could go smoke or have an impromptu art gallery? <laughs> I'm trying to think. There wasn't really... I, I went to um, Brookfield High here in Ottawa and... I don't remember really there being an area. Well, listen, there was there was areas of the school that didn't get used anymore. The one thing that's really standing out is the old uh, DT room design technology had um, a garage area where apparently they used to teach uh, car maintenance, like like that, like like auto shop stuff, and. You could go down into that area and nobody like it, it was like nobody went in there. It wasn't like dilapidated or anything like that, though. And there was also like the basement. The basement had like weird storage areas, but it also like had classrooms that were in use and uh, the weight room was in the basement area. So like I like there's not really like a cool abandoned wing covered in branches and trees and full of spiders and rats where uh, they gave up doing construction work because the con uh, the construction workers uh, kept getting sick and uh, injured and and so they just gave up on it that's weird there was a like a weird room where all the drama kids stored stuff in the basement of my high school and you went in one door and down in the basement and ended up underneath the auditorium. So I can see why there was a bunch of theater stuff under there. And like it was theater kids. So, yeah, but it wasn't like dusty and dilapidated and scary. But I totally forgot about that little underground area of the basement of the high school until you mentioned the basement of the high school. But I don't know if maybe we just like spaces at such a premium, especially in schools here that we can't afford to have a room or a wing or in some of these stories, not whispering corridors necessarily. There's entire other schools on the school ground that are abandoned, which is fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is like a wing of the abandoned school. So quite a, quite a, or an abandoned wing of the school. So it's quite a lot of space for these kids to do what they want and has been for a decade at the very least. So young goes there to smoke. She's the top student, yeah. you see. And uh, I, for some reason, 
I, I get this sense uh, that she's a stress smoker. Like it looks like the stress of being the top student freaks her out a little bit. So she just goes there to, uh, to, to smoke and really has a sense of ownership. It's odd to me that no one else would ever bother to go to this place until uh, Gio is going to also want to use this private space. Now she wants to do this because she gets it in her head after being explicitly told to just forget this whole suicide nonsense. She was explicitly told to, 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 to just go about her school year and, and keep her, keep your nose clean little lady. And what does she do? She does an elaborate, very rendered close up painting of Mrs. Parks corpse face eyes bloodied hanging from this noose a very accomplished artist i may say so uh what's funny is that when she shows it to je je's just sort of like huh yeah you know you you've, you've captured quite a lot of the sentiment here that is found in great true art and you're very close to becoming a great true art she doesn't say like what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> which i think it's a really cool painting but my first question asking a school kid like, I think this is pre-high school. This isn't, like, grade 13. They're not adults. They're young adults at that. They're, what, 16 years old, 15 years old? Probably. It seems like Tops? they're going. Yeah. This this seems to be the stage before they do college entrance exams. That's the take I am got, got from it. So maybe grade 10. Yeah. Maybe grade 10. They're still children <laughs> in so many ways. But... You know, she needs therapy or something or art therapy. And this is it. But those are questions that an adult or even a good friend needs to ask. But no, J.E. is just like, oh, this is beautiful. <laughs> so maybe normalizing it. And this is also where we get to see not only just how interesting Gio really is, I think, as a, as a character, but how brutal Mad Dog can be. This is also a really good example of this weird sense that this film has where it fucks with time. Now, I'm not talking about the numerous flashback sequences that occur in this film, mostly when uh, Yu Young is uh, remembering her time as a student and she's remembering uh, Jin Zhu uh, when they were classmates in 1989. But it's more about the sense that we feel like, or I feel like I'm walking into conversation. This scene starts with Mr. O with Gio getting her ass pitched across the fucking room. We, we do not see the discovery of the painting. We do not see his initial outburst. It literally just looks, we don't even see him in frame. We see the corner of the classroom and then we just see Gio like a sack of potatoes hit the corner of it. And then we see his onslaught on this very young, small girl. You know, he's not hitting her closed fist, but he is like destroying her painting and he is like fucking slapping her around. It's awful. It's really, really, uh, he's furious. It's, it's, it's against his direct wishes. This is a guy that like power trips when you're looking in the wrong direction when he's talking. So, God forbid that you were to create a piece of art around the fact that a teacher committed suicide. Uh, you want to know that's interesting that I think is like 
the most psychotic thing about Mr. O is that he's able to turn it off because when he is talking to you young in the teacher's lounge, he sounds like a fucking he's he's almost like a normal man. Now, granted, he comes off as quite chilly to the fact that you young reveals that she was friends with uh, Jinju who killed themselves many years ago. And he can't seem to fathom. Why would you even why? Oh, you're trying to talk to a friend. Oh, it's the one that killed herself. Oh, why would you reach out to her family now? Oh, like it's, 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 but like that harshness, that almost like bloodthirstiness that the guy demonstrates in those classrooms, it's obvious that and now I'm, and now I'm in the teacher's lounge. Like it's, it's not like this guy is psychologically, well, I mean, he's got some psychological problems, but because he doesn't have to be that way, but he feels like this is his job to be this militant abuser of these young girls. I think that it highlights to me that he hates children. He hates children so much that he can hardly control himself. He doesn't want them to take any more of his time than they need to. So them not paying attention while he's talking is grounds for a freak out. The not listening to him is grounds for a freak out. Any excuse to beat on these children, he will take because he hates them so much. And that's what I took out of Mad Dog. And he is a mad dog at that. He is an angry, horrible, violent person. And he is a D.O.G. in the sense that he not only will kick the shit out of the coolest kid in class, really, the coolest artist and everything, he is all over so young all of the time, any chance that he can get to paw at her. And this isn't totally lost on Yin Young either. He, she didn't sees what a dog he is. He, she knows what a violent, horrible person that he is, but she's was a student only nine short years ago. So I guess that this sort of behavior was heaped upon her on the daily. So she hardly bats an eyelash that this guy turns from Jekyll and Hyde from students to adults and that he is a pervert, a harassing, probably like going to be pedophile rapist any minute now. And that he is like a super violent beating on students continuously and humiliating them at every chance that he can. I guess that's normal. The, the, the pawing at, at so young is so fucking creepy. It's, it's the fact that he just won't stop fingering her ear. I, I was like, what is this thing that you're doing? Like, and, and, and the way his opener is just like, so is your dad still a drunk? And he's like, like, isn't that fucked up? Like, like, like massaging her earlobe. And I'm like, what's that about dude? Like, it's like, oh, this will get her motor going. I'm going to talk about her drunk dad. And then I'm just going to like start finger fucking her ear. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't like it. And, and the thing that's worst of all is he, when he does this in front of you young and he does this in front of the, the other students, everybody sees this. And this is what he's willing to do in front of all of these people. And it, 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 it connotes this, 
ideal of either his absolute authority in that environment or how it's absolutely accepted that, well, you know, this is just this is just the kind of stuff that happens. So, you know, Grin Barrett, like I, I don't I, I it's it's baffling to me is disgusting, but um, his ability to be different, more cheerful, more laid back is so pronounced that in the dark shadows of the night, when he is uh, supposed to, I guess, be like a fucking campus security. I guess they get the teachers to explore the school at night with a fucking flashlight to I don't know what. I wasn't even sure it was him until I got a really good look at his face. I thought this was the the male art teacher that Yu Young was friends with. And then and then when they did a close-up on him finally, I was like, oh, no, wait, that's Mr. O. Yeah, they mention it briefly at the beginning. And it um, I, I noticed it because I thought, oh, that's what Mrs. Park was probably doing at the beginning of the film. She was like the night watchman because as far as rotating duties among the students to clean the classrooms, they have rotating duties amongst the teachers to patrol the grounds at night. Which makes some sense. I mean, again, I wish we had this sort of ownership of your professions and station in life here in North America. I think that there would be a vastly different attitude towards school if people had these sorts of responsibilities hoisted upon them. But they had been joking about like, well, if you're going to kill, if you're going to kill Mad Dog, tonight's the night to do it because he's on guard dog duty or whatever so <laughs> yeah they had mentioned that and i think it's kind of another aspect of us getting to stay in this insular world and not going off site because yeah the only adult we do see is so young's stepmother who comes to pick her up and i think we only see her from behind and like so we get to stay at night on these grounds as well with the same cast members. We don't have an outside influence of uh, security or a, a cleaning person or anything else. We still get the teachers, which is really handy. It keeps the cast insular and the location insular. So we can still follow for, we can still follow these storylines through the night and into the space where we find that liminal weird area in schools. You've ever been in a school at night it's already creepy and weird to begin with. And this is 10 times creepier because we're with this. On one hand, he's a target because he is a horrible person. He is also a horrible person skulking around the halls at night with a flashlight. Perfect setting for what? Murder. <laughs> Do you know that when you watch this film, you could say ghost, but it's not fucking clear is it because we are seeing we have seen ghosts that kill in films before and when they do it they take over your mind and you drive into a car like the haunting uh sadako stops your heart or scares you to death or something uh kayako mangles you or part of that haunting will rip your fucking jaw off or something like that this, this, these killings are being done with implements like a slasher. The first killer, the first kill that we, we know is a noose going around Mrs. Park's neck. And it's not her tying it herself. It looks like someone almost has like a garrote and gets her from behind. And 
then with this, we see, we do see the supernatural aspect of a sliding door close, which from some stretch of the imagination causes Mr. O to tumble downstairs. He either breaks or twists his ankle. And then, but the, the, the second thing confirmed supernatural occurrence is room three threes door marker flying off of the little swingy thing and hitting him in the face and he gets a deep gash in his forehead but then we're in knife territory lydia he gets fucking stabbed stabbed but not in a very supernatural way not in a way that makes us be like oh there's floating knives wielded by unseen specters of the night not at all like it it smacks of murder (laughs) any cop investigating this would say it's murder. <laughs> they would say a person did this, mm-hmm. not a ghostly apparition. The ghost that goes slamming doors, the ghost that wiggles all the door placards. It, it he was stabbed. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that even with this, you could maybe do by some stretching of logic. It could, in theory, be a human doing this. Be, there, there are there are things that would be difficult to explain why they would even be doing this, why they would be trying to convince a person that they're going to kill anyway, that there's a ghost um, to maybe perhaps prolong the psychological torture. There are examples in which Mr. O is seeing somebody in a student uniform from uh, the old school uniform, I should point out. It's, they're not wearing a... Well, they're just wearing a a dress shirt, but every time that we see the students in flashback, they're just wearing a white dress shirt with a gold name tag. So this is indicating at the very least that nine years ago, the uniform was a little different than it is today. Um, But then again, it could even just be like a different season, like everyone's wearing a jacket, but maybe this was in the summer months that they're remembering this kind of stuff. We don't know. But... So that's the thing that like strikes me a lot about this. And th- it goes back to what you were saying about the giallo like aspects to it, where this could have been a black glove killer situation. And the story is sort of slowing down by this point. We have some revelations about their interpersonal relationships among the students, how So Young used to be a lot closer to Jung Suk and that the teachers drove a wedge between them. And there are like these interpersonal stories, let alone the interpersonal story of, of young and her friendship with the missing killed student, the suicide, like they, they refer to her death in a few different ways. So I'm not really, well, we're, I may be deliberately misled on to how her friend had died like years and years ago. So, we do get clarification on exactly how Geo died later on, not too long from now. But at first, like it's just she's referred to having died there mm-hmm. kind of mysteriously, perhaps, because everyone seems to have a slightly different version, but they don't talk about it much. So it's only like within three words that we're parsing out how this person died. So we're getting a little more storyline that way. So this is where the story does slow down a little tiny bit. And the dripping intensifies because (laughs) from the very beginning scenes, there's a dripping sound. And there's a thing where on one of the desks, Jinju had put her initials. 
or a young and young, more accurately, had carved JJ for Jinju's initials on this desk. And there's a blood stain from blood dripping from the ceiling that I, I guess is this dripping sound that plays throughout the whole movie and it intensifies from this point onward and I really was waiting for a reveal about like bodies in the upstairs or some shit and it never happened did I miss something Wes what does this dripping sound have to do with the story as it's going to unfold the only thing that I could figure and I have no way of proving this but I think the art room is above the class. That's what I think is going on. Not the... not. Oh. Yeah. I think that the, the geography and the classes as such, it's a very tall building, very industrial looking building. But I think that the, the new art room, the newer art room is above the class. And that somehow is trying to relate this idea that it's a signal that you need to go to the actual art room that was there in 89. That's and that's a guess. And that is a long shot. But that's the only thing that I can figure about why it's relevant. That makes some sense. Like, I'm in the art room. Look. Yeah. Burn suit. I'm in the art room. Drip, drip, drip. Because if I had died in this art room, my blood would be dripping down, you see. That new gum you like is yeah. going to come back in style. Exactly. So that's, yeah, that explains some of it. Because I just thought I was missing something huge but then I also felt I wasn't because I had noticed that dripping sound right away and sort of like mental note pay attention to this dripping sound because it's hardly being explained the blood stain is growing and there is dripping yes but it's not like that's not the whole story it's not called the the funny weird puddle that dripped in the night it's called whispering corridors yes when Mr. O goes missing it's easy to be like, is, are they stuffing him up there? Is that the idea? Because the blood intensifies after that moment. Um, this classroom is going through teachers like you wouldn't fucking believe. And there's a weird aspect I think about where... I, I, the thing that I get stuck on is... Jun Suk's character. Jun Suk is, like we said, the number two student. She used to be quite close with So Young, but as revealed, she um, drifted apart from her because of the competitiveness competitiveness of the classroom and the fact that you know, Mr. O says you're all you should all consider each other as rivals. Like you're you're not friends so don't be friends and junsuk um is just a, a person who can't seem to get the popularity that so young has and the the effortless top grades it's kind of like this idea of this has all happened before and it's all happening again so young is kind of like you young who like they're beautiful and they're popular and they were the top of their class and Yu Young comes back as 
a teacher and perhaps maybe in the future so young would come back as a teacher as well they even have like this weird conversation about like oh i heard that you were really pretty and and you had really good grades and she's like and the teacher's like oh but i'm not as pretty as you were and you have better grades and i was just like what is this conversation um but but junsuk is really fucking weird towards the end of this film and when she has this conversation with um geo who we glossed over the fact that like geo is considered to be psychic by people um and she she has a couple of demonstrations of this in class and stuff like that but she has this conversation with geo in the abandoned art room uh where she's like i'm the ghost she refers to herself directly as that and that was part of this really weird scene that leads to somewhere where you're like okay is this girl a ghost is that's what is that what's going on here right now because i've seen other stuff where this is the case where one of the students is not who they say they are but then she's also going out of her way to agitate everyone around her and do you get the sense that junsuk was trying to to test out a theory that anyone who causes problems gets killed oh perhaps i i had just thought it was a script tactic to implant red herrings among us to draw attention away from the least likely suspect really honestly but um to draw any attention or place more emphasis on every single girl that has like a a personality glitch so to speak Mm -hmm. more so than like the very direct like if you act out you will get killed sort of warning which it could be who's acting out by smoking and having a drunk father that everyone seems to know all about having a mom in an insane asylum that everyone seems to know about how do you fly right and get good grades with all that on your shoulders yeah that's true i i i guess like because like Junsuk has two back-to-back scenes where one she starts ripping up her book in the middle of class and it gets her like dummied by the fucking teacher to the point in which her she, her like mouth is bleeding and shit. She also has a brief conversation with Soyoung in the uh the art room in which she comments on the fact that oh your sister came to pick you up. Oh sorry that's your stepmom. She's pretty young looking. Is your mom still in the loony bin? And then Soyoung smacks her in the face again. It's like this chick's getting hit and hit and hit. But it also could just be what ends up happening to this girl is she hangs herself from the very same place that Mrs. Park hangs herself from. Could it have been a good old-fashioned mental breakdown that led to a suicide? Or is it the ghost? Right. I mean, what what are we what are we supposed to be led to believe here? Uh, was it the same? Because we saw what happened to Miss Park. That wasn't a suicide, and we know it, right? That was almost a Freddy Krueger level of uh, puppetry going on there. Mm-hmm. We didn't really get to see what happened here. So us as the viewer, we have these two interesting mysteries. We know 
that that wasn't a suicide at the beginning. So whenever they refer to Jinju has as having committed suicide, we have a suspect that 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 that's not true either. And then we know that this, in a way, we're pretty sure this could not have been a suicide, no matter what sort of pressure this girl is under, no matter what she was tearfully talking about moments ago. I mean, well, moments ago for us. Because I think all this takes place in a couple days, <laughs> this whole movie. It seems to be a bit of time, maybe a week, but I, th I think it's only like a couple, like two nights maybe. But um, yeah, we're, we're pretty sure that it, that it was the ghost, right? So, I mean, I it is, again, really picturesque and such a beautiful scene. And again, another outpouring of emotion from the girls who see her body. And it's just an unbelievably emotional scene after we've gotten to know a lot of these students too. It really is. Um, I have one more weird theory about Junsuk, but we have to save it until the very end. Um, okay. But there's an interesting other mystery aside from the mystery of did anyone here ever actually commit suicide mm -hmm. um, that we the viewer are kind of privy to the solution to we the viewer are also privy to the solution to the missing yearbooks <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> since the beginning and young has noticed that there are missing yearbooks and her being a former student which we've been told numerous times She's keenly interested in these old yearbooks. And then, well, maybe Miss Park was circling yearbook years or something at the beginning. So it's a little mystery for the viewers. And we get to get a glimpse of where some of these yearbooks might be. And the conversation of, hey, I heard you had some of those yearbooks. Yeah, I knew where they were, but they're not there now. Sort of conversation is going on in between all of this. So... We know that the missing yearbooks are somehow in the old art room covered in dirt, <laughs> tucked behind something because no one ever cleans there. They just smoke cigarettes continuously. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, when these yearbooks are recovered, lids, it's 1993, memorable year where Jurassic Park came out, and then 1996, a less memorable year, that maybe Twister. I think you had Twister that summer. Uh, I can't really remember. Batman Forever. No, wait, that was 95. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm getting distracted. The point is, is that um, two yearbooks, three years after 1989, when Jinju dies, and then three years later in 1996, and now, Lids, it's 1998 third year once more when Yu Young is thinking about her past and I think that's what she does maybe that's what you would do a lot when you went into your old high school you just spend all day thinking about your past and all of these deaths she remembers her relationship with Mrs. Park uh, a person who was discouraging her from being friends with Jin Yu or Jin Ju and saying that you need to leave people like that behind because she was the top student and you don't want to have lesser people dragging you down. But she had a fairly inseparable bond with Jinju. She's a, a, an artist herself, Lids, which is why 
she's uh, very encouraging of Gio's artistic endeavors. You see, she didn't paint, though. She worked with plaster, and she used to make like faces and stuff. And she happened to make a face of her dear friend uh, Jinju. They had a good they had a good friendship. You know, they gave each other bells. They or I guess Jinju gave her bells, and you know, she made a sculpture of her friend. Uh, and eventually we get the story about how this girl died and it's reminded uh, she's really reminded of this because when Jun Suk dies So Young describes how the girls became estranged as they became more competitive and they went through their schooling Yu Young thinks about her friend dying in the art room. And the way that she dies is so weird that I'm not even really sure how to describe it. No, I'm I'm interested because A, spoiler, the body's still there. Like so how could anyone have described this as a suicide? How anyone could have described this as a, an anything other than a missing person? They don't know that she's dead, except at the very beginning when Mrs. Park has to say she's definitely dead, but she's definitely here. Okay, that helps explain all of this, but people referred to it as that she was definitely dead. How would they have known that? They had no idea where this girl's body was all this effing time, let alone, yeah, it's almost as weird as Mad Dog getting scared down the stairs by a slamming door. I mean, <laughs> was there another ghost before all this that perpetrated this particular death? Because what happened shouldn't have killed her. And also Space Jam came out in 1996, Wes. Oh, nice. I love Space Jam, or I did. I haven't. I can't vouch I, for it anymore. I know you do. I can't vouch for it anymore. <laughs> but I like Space Jam. But um, what ends up happening is it almost is like a Final Destination death, in which a bunch of like like a Rube Goldberg machine happens, in which she's falling it's like Steve Urkel, and she's catching the head because she doesn't want to lose the thing that um, Yu Young made for her. And she falls over, and on the top shelf there is a blade, and that blade falls down, and I guess pierces her in the heart or something to that effect, and she dies. So I think that during this commotion, during this chaos of this event, if anything, it's negligence and the teachers that were responsible for this girl's death. And I would think that they covered it up, put her body in the floorboards, and then waited it out until it was probably determined, well, poor girl. She must have thrown herself off into a river or dashed her body against the the cliffs or she she's because the school is so isolated and it's such like a rustic looking 
area and anything could have happened to her body and they just after a period of time it was determined that it was likely a suicide because she gave into the pressure and then the school would have covered it up and but but like because you're gonna hear the ghost motivation it's not open to interpretation what the ghost is lingering there for they're going to fucking flat out tell you why they're not leaving so it's not the injustice of their death which is weird because it should just be the injustice of their death (laughs) yes because it is a cover-up yes well we're gonna get into who the ghost is uh because there's really not much else to say other than who the ghost is in this flashback scene we're going to be given uh, the, the full frontal of the face that uh, we've not been seeing this entire time and simultaneously uh, Yu Young will if we haven't figured it out by just seeing the face itself we are going to be told when the yearbooks are discovered because there's a familiar face in the year 1993 And then the exact same face in the year 1996. The missing yearbooks contain the face of the timid best friend, Zhe-Yi, going under two different names than she was then, but her original name, 1989, was Jin-Ju. Dun-dun-dun. And... Really, the the person I least suspected, really, honestly, they did a really good job of that. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. It also makes me wonder, did something not happen that would have been newsworthy in 1993 and 1996 that these other students and other teachers might have remembered because they might have been here three years previous or known other students that would have been here three years previous, or it would have been in the news. Granted, yes, they've covered up a girl's death years ago, but I mean, they can't keep everything airtight. So something must have been happening. There could have been other teachers that would have been killed in 93 and 96. It seems like the catalyst for this year being wrought with murder is the return of Yu Young to the school. And I think it makes sense both in agitating the spirit who then was terrified that they would be discovered. And two, if let's say you're a teacher. And you, I mean, you are a teacher, but let's say that you're a teacher in this scenario. And let's say that every year you're getting a new group of 30 kids and again and again and again ad nauseum for the last nine years. And let's say you push the disappearance out of the, of this student out of your mind. And even the people who were familiar with that, the, the name, the name maybe becomes familiar, but the face becomes foggy. But then you see Yu Young return. And then that's bringing back memories. And it's almost, and then you're like, wait a second, do you ever notice Yu Young? Man, I haven't thought about this in years. But have you noticed that this girl looks almost identical to Jinju down to the haircut? They're not even changing. Yeah. They're not even changing her hair. And she's just, every three years, 
I guess enough time passes in their mind that, you know, you it, it, like enough students have gone through the class. Like maybe if she was there every year, like 89, then 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, then that becomes ridiculous. Cause I'd be like, come on, like how absent-minded are you that you don't recognize an immortal student showing up in your senior class every year and then when everyone graduates they come and sit back down the next year and they're like oh my name is bobby joe and last year it was joey bob like that's ridiculous right so yeah and we're we're left with this big reveal where jinju jayi as we've been knowing her throughout the entire film needs to kill her former best friend because this whole time lives. She didn't care that she was killed. She doesn't care that she died unceremoniously. She was upset that she didn't have a picture in the yearbook. And she also wanted a best friend, just like you young, but she's been waiting for it. So she's decided to just be an immortal student. And got many 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 yearbook pictures the end and everyone lived happily ever after i mean okay if that's what you want you you've attained that quite honestly (laughs) you've attained that year after year after year so if you want to be a perpetual student you've got it and why you need to kill everybody doesn't really make any sense it would have made a lot more sense to me and i think to anyone of any culture if she was avenging the fact that her death was hidden and covered up. I mean, Jesus Christ. But yeah, it, it's touching though, because at the end of the day, she just wanted a friend. I went for a walk this morning near a school, a little kid's school, or it's a revamped little kid's school because it's an alternative school now and an adult high school, I think, on one half. But it was a kid's school at one point, and they had a buddy bench out there. And if you're not aware of what a buddy bench is for listeners, I don't know if they have them everywhere, but I remember explaining this to people that are outside of Ontario. Um, A buddy bench is a bench in or outside of a school where if you're feeling lonely or sad or want someone to talk to or are hiding from bullies, most often, you go and sit on the buddy bench and there's any student can come and accompany you on the buddy bench because if you're sitting there, you obviously need someone, like if you're sitting there alone, more honestly if you obviously need somebody to talk to somebody to help you to protect you you have a problem of some sort and what they needed at the school was a buddy bench quite badly (laughs) she's got kind of a way to instigate a buddy bench every single year and she's shitting on that opportunity there's this heartfelt speech that she gives about only wanting a friend there's a there's a there's a weird um ex-girlfriend ex-boyfriend aspect to this like i'm just thinking about it in terms of like giving her the bells trying to live like a a a normal student and like having this friend with geo talking to her about art just being friends and stuff like that but like in a weird like X sort of way where your next relationship you give them the same gifts and maybe you call them by the same pet name and you you just kind of go into this like repetitive cycle uh, that gives it this extra sense of sadness to me where she's 
she was happy with Yu Young and she was happy with that life, but she could never get it again because she never felt in, in the last two times that she's tried to do this, only Gio has like understood her in the way that she felt that she needed to be understood. And just in that moment, she was like, and now you expect me to, I have to walk away and I have to give it up. Gio tells her that uh, she loves her, but you know, you need to move on. And I like that the conversation, even though Yu Young was in the room, Gio is doing the talking. I think that's really important mm -hmm. because you you can tell that the spirit, the spirit views Yu Young as this obstacle that she is like she wants to kill her because like it's because you're here that people are remembering that I'm not who I say I am. And once you die, then we can all go back to normal. The implication seems to be the school year will resume. We won't, like teachers will stop dropping like flies around here. No one will kill themselves anymore. It's going to be fine. Uh, but it's too little and too late. And then she needs to move on. And when she does, it happens in this sort of spectacular fashion in which the dripping lids, the dripping becomes the most intense the 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 mask of jinju erupts and bursts into blood and the classroom itself bursts into blood and it drips everywhere this is the shots that are in the trailer and and stuff like that that make it seem like a super like oh my god what is this crazy gory action-packed movie even though there's a lot of action in this movie anyways but um and it, in that moment, it seems as though the spirit has moved on or at, the, or at the very least go dormant for a few years. It's not clear, but what is clear is, a, is room 33's sign is down and a random student shows up and opens the door and sees the two women in there sort of exhausted. It's now the daytime and they've probably been laying there all night and Gio is laying in her teacher's lap and the, the 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 student decides to like well this has nothing to do with me i'm out of here and walks down the hallway and turns to face the camera like the ending of thriller but it's not this nameless student anymore it is the ghost of the newly christened jun suk fulfilling her prophecy who would actually have a reason to haunt the shit out of this school and also may, leads me to believe that this weird Rube Goldberg death of toppling statues and falling knives that had created our last ghost in Jinju might have, that could have, if you were going to write a prequel, happened because of another ghost. But yeah, I really like this and it makes me want to watch more as long as hopefully they remain linear and follow this story because I, I like this school and I have the same feeling with Corpse Party. I like this school. I like these students. I just want to be here. I want to stay here with another. I want to I want to witness a prequel. I want to watch the next installment. I want to live in this school with these students. And I get the same feeling here because they are all just really well fleshed out characters. Like we talked about two things previously. Um, and the one thing is that there are times that I mix them up. I had to write down a lot of names. They don't look super similar because there's rounder faced, pretty, longer faced, but 
I could see if anyone's going to get turned off this film, it's just the schoolgirls in school outfits can become really homogenized. And it's tough to delineate sometimes who's who by the names too, because to our Western ears, it gets confusing. And it's such a shame in that way that there's not a little more differentiation between these girls and their talents and not to the extent of a western horror film where we have the ditzy blonde and the mousy brown haired schoolgirl and the jog with the blonde hair you know like all that it doesn't have to be that delineated but i mean if there's anything that at the end i was like i'm glad that they had the most memorable looking girl be the new ghost <laughs> yes well i hate to be the bearer of bad news lids um there are several sequels to this film franchise they are not related canonically um oh for fuck's sakes really <laughs> yes it is always a different group of characters in a different school in a different setting it's always in school but it's always a different place okay. and different ghosts and different times the whispering corridors is a bit of a brand name um i have not seen all of them I did point out that the one that came out in 2020 involves a Korean toilet ghost, uh, Chikson. Uh, so if you're into my favorite mm -hmm. ghost, uh, the intention of this film franchise was to bring a Korean folklore to the forefront and to modernize it and put them into modern settings and things of that nature. So the film accomplishes that. I have a theory about Junsuk now that we know that she is a spirit at the end of this film franchise. And it might be completely out of left field. But we see throughout the entire film that she is observing. She observes quietly the other students. She observes the suicide of Mrs. Park. She is always she always seems like she knows something. She knows what's going on and she's not saying anything. And I just got this, especially that I'm I'm a ghost scene, this self-fulfilling prophecy that she does in the midway point of this film. And then at the end of the movie, maybe she was supposed to be a red herring, but she becomes the red herring, or sorry, she becomes the thing that she was implying at the end. And then her last actions of building up these raw emotions directly towards her, challenging the teachers, challenging her friends, getting some things off of her chest, at least in her mind. Was she, did she see, did she know who Jinju was? And she was like, I am going to duplicate this. I am going to become a ghost in this school and I am going to become the top student by virtue of the fact that I will have forever to study and eventually I will be the number one student and I will fulfill what I believe is my destiny in death. Wow, that is deep and that's putting a lot on her shoulders and she can take it because she is the top student. Uh, yeah, uh, that that's fantastic and perhaps Perhaps, yes. I really wish that there was more films around that character. And I really Me wish too. that there was a prequel showing more of what else was going on in 1993 and 96. Um, interesting. That's a really good theory. 
I have an idea that a lot of subtleties and maybe more that would fill in Jung Suk's motivations, uh, what her like suicide murder by ghost really, really entailed, and those sorts of things that maybe are lost in translation. There's a lot of times when we see name tags that aren't translated. There are times when there are things that are uh, shot in the forefront or blocked that maybe don't make sense to our Western eyes, let alone just reading Korean, which neither you or I can do. Mm -hmm. So I think that there are some little things that are lost because even if they had, uh, say, an outdated calendar hanging on a wall, we wouldn't know that. We would have no mm -hmm. idea watching this film and it would be something that informs the Korean viewer as to the subtleties of storytelling and uh, foreshadowing that we're not getting so there very well could be more to that story that we just don't see let alone things where we feel like we've walked in mid-sentence a lot of times maybe could have been set up by things that we just don't understand it's it's uh, the cutting into scenes is so was so weird uh, and but eventually I did roll into it. I have a, a personal question for you, Lids, um, because this film, if anything else, teaches us the power of yearbooks. Um, you can learn a lot about your school's own history by looking at your school's yearbooks and not just most of the time, my high school in the library, they had an area right by the de the, the, the librarian's desk that had every yearbook. Uh, from the school's inception uh, in the in the early 1960s, maybe late 1950s, I can't quite remember, all the way up until yesterday. I'm sure if I went to that library now, uh, my yearbooks would be there and you could see my uh, young face all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed waiting for a joyous future that would one day come. But um, did you know of anyone who died at your school? Of anyone that died on the school grounds or in the school at all? Like on the school grounds. On the school grounds. That's a fantastic question. And no, no, not at all. But this is also, you're talking to the girl that had a, a murder happen in the first house that her family lived in and she didn't find out until she was like almost 30. So <laughs> someone could have, but no, yeah, I'm not aware of any murders or deaths or suicides in my school. So my school had a death on the grounds. And I discovered this with my friends, like we were in a Korean horror movie by one late time at school, staying staying late, we looked through the yearbooks in the on the bookshelf until we got to this big memorial page. I want to say sometime in the mid 80s and there was this big picture of this kid and i can only remember i cannot remember if it was his first name or of his last name but it was memorable because it was ragu his name was ragu and it was a big picture of him and we were like it was like in loving memory and we're like who is this guy who is this guy who's this kid and so we asked the next day, we asked the oldest teacher that still worked there, do you know this kid? And she said, yes. 
And she was like, he died in gym class. They were running. They were running laps. And they were running laps on the track outside on the school grounds. And he was running and he seemed fine. And then he started choking. And he, what had happened was, was he had, either through heat exhaustion or something, vomited into his own throat. And he asphyxiated on his vomit right then and there. He died. People didn't know what was wrong with him. And so he choked to death on the school grounds. Wow. That's intense. That is intense. And the fact that you just discovered it sort of like that. And then luckily had a teacher, instead of like deepening the mystery, being like, oh, no, we don't talk about him and walking away, um, <laughs> filling you in. Wow. Yeah. And oh. I haven't thought about that in literally years, but this conversation and all of this, the storyline surrounding a death at school, it made me think about it for the first time in years. Yeah, but that did happen. Had it happened many years before you were a student there? Yes. So I was a student. I started there in 1999. Or the, so the September of 98, in my ninth grade nine year, I was it was nineteen ninety nine, like the end of ninety eight into nineteen ninety nine, and I bet you, mm -hmm. I was probably in grade ten. I was probably in grade ten when we were there, discover so, and this was the eighties. I'm fairly certain it was the eighties, or like late eighties, very early nineties, something like that. We got the sense that okay. that this was a while ago, but not like 1956. Like it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unreal. That's so wild. The weirdest thing I ever noticed in a in a yearbook in my high school was uh, one of the town crazies, Shazam, who was a quasi homeless <laughs> man that had taken too much acid one day and lost his mind. He used to be a student at my school. That was that was my big. <laughs> day in the library <laughs> I just um I just uh I just find the yearbooks uh these fascinating chronicles of history and I just love how they were so effectively used in this film to essentially do what they do chronicle history and uncover the truth it's interesting too, like not that there's any truth to uncover it, but the Robert Poulin shooting that happened in 1975 at St. Pius uh, Xavier or St. Pius X it's called, but I don't know what the X stands for, but I want to say it's Xavier, like every other X that's in a high school name, but the St. Pius high school shooting in 75 by Robert Poulin, which I have a book about that Chris wonderfully tracked down because it's very rare to find a copy of Rape of a Normal Mind by Chris Cobb, who is a reporter that used to work for the Ottawa Citizen here in Ottawa. I wonder what the St. Pius yearbooks look like from 73, 4, 5, uh, and 6. I, I'm just very curious now, so I think I'm going to make a trip to our local library because I'm not in school. <laughs> I'm way too old to be going into a school without getting some weird looks. So to avoid the weird looks 
I am going to check it out at the library <laughs> for sure. But, you know, going back to the beginning, talking about Tartan, Asia Extreme, and how all that changed and has largely disappeared. Tartan was uh, sucked into Palisades, and I think P2 was one of the last films that they had put out under that moniker or the next film they put out trying to revitalize the brand and they just never did. So all is not lost because we're going to do another film that was released under the Tartan Asia Extreme line, are we not? We are. We are going to be doing the indelible classic, A Tale of Two Sisters. Not the North American remake? No, we're not going to be doing the North American remake. Be nice. I'm sure they all tried very hard. But the problem, and we'll discuss it next time, is sometimes things just don't translate. And I think when you try to Americanize something that is deeply, deeply Korean, I just think that it's a... Well, let's just say I'm happy that nowadays we seem to have moved past that a little bit. People will, you know, we can watch foreign films in their original languages by the filmmakers who made them with the intention and culture around why they were made in the first place. You know, I'm listen, I'm sure they tried very hard, but it's it didn't work and that's okay. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about the Korean version uh, and uh, I'm very excited because I have not watched this film in a while and fun fact there's a trailer for it on the Tartan Asia Extreme DVD of Whispering Corridors oh that makes a lot of sense and now with A Tale of Two Sisters when we worried that Whispering Corridors was a sleepier Korean horror film A Tale of Two Sisters is a fairly sleepy Korean horror film by my estimation. And I think that every time I watch it, I've watched it about four times in my life and I get lulled <laughs> every time. It's a beautiful film and it is almost like woman in blackish kind of uh, hammer horror gothic looking kind of film and that's part of what lulls me into it and not lulls me to sleep but lulls me into and deeper into the the world of this sister and i really enjoy it so i'm looking forward to it if we're talking about picks we had the west pick which may be the most exciting of the two because i had a lot of fun with whispering corridors but we've both seen a tale of two sisters which is my pick heading into this i don't know what we're gonna do next because i know you're gonna ask <laughs> Well, we'll save we'll save what we're going to do next after we do A Tale of Two Sisters because then we really got to hammer it down. But yeah, no, that house in Tale of Two Sisters, the opulence, I can definitely see with the colors and all that kind of stuff. It does have a lot of Eel Marsh house vibes, uh, especially on the interiors. But I'm excited to watch that again. Um, but, uh, well, I just dropped my Sharpie. I'm last night. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.
Here, borrow my pen. Boop. <laughs> oh, is that the sound? You're gonna have a little boop sound. That's perfect. Boop. Yeah. That's the that's the the, the dripping sound.